Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our scripture reading today is the story of the transfiguration from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 20. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shined like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, There appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved, With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He replied, Elijah is indeed coming and will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him. But they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. When they came to the crowd, a man came to him, knelt before him, and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was cured instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. This is the word of God, for the people of God. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't remember when it happened to me exactly, but 
at some point in my adult life, I made the decision that I wanted to fill my life with as many great moments as I possibly could. That's what I called them, great moments. Moments of adventure, moments of challenge, moments of excitement, accomplishment, moments filled with wonder. So here's just a few of those. Uh, When I was in my 40s, I think I've shared before, I decided that I wanted to learn karate. I wasn't in the best physical shape. I had a few old injuries to contend with. I had a lot to learn, and I'm really not by nature much of a fighter. But once I got a taste of it, I loved it and decided that I would stick with it at least until I earned a black belt, which was no small feat. I worked hard, I trained hard, I practiced a lot. As the black belt test approached, I increasingly felt uh, some sense of intimidation about it, a little trepidation, and the test itself was grueling. It went on for hours, and throughout it, I repeated myself over and over, this is a great moment. This is a great moment. Don't give up. Keep going. This is a great moment. A little pep talk. But sure enough, when they handed me that black belt, it did feel like a great moment. Around that same time, I took a group of college students to Guatemala, and before we returned home from our mission trip, we hiked a live volcano called Pacaya. Hiking up Pacaya is not an easy task. It's a steep slope, and it's a long hike. But once we reached our summit, the view was incredible. We got there just as sun was setting and we discovered that there was an active lava flow, which doesn't happen all the time. It was about as tall as me and about a mile across. We sat down by the flowing lava and ate dinner. I brought communion elements. We had communion and then we hiked back down in the dark. It was an incredible moment, a great moment, if you will. Around that same time, I also had the privilege to visit Angola in Africa. In our way back, we flew through South Africa, the airport in Johannesburg. We had a a day-long layover. So a few of us got to go to an animal park, a wild animal park. And while I was there, I got to get in a cage with a leopard. I didn't even know that was going to be possible. But even better than that, later that same day, I got to hold a four-month-old tiger cub in my arms and play with it, which was truly one of the most incredible moments of my life. Until the cute little tiger cub decided it was fun to gnaw on my arm. And you'd be surprised how big and sharp the teeth are of a four-month-old tiger cub. When we flew out that day and I had to answer the forms for custom and immigration that ask you, have you been in contact with livestock or wild animals? I may have lied and covered (laughs) the bleeding hole in my arm. A number of years later, Kelly and I took a cruise to Alaska, uh, which in and of itself was a great experience. But one morning we were sitting at the the rear of the ship by a window eating our brunch. I was stuffing my face as you do on cruises. And I looked up and saw the most incredible thing I'd ever seen. Hundreds upon hundreds of dolphins following the cruise in the wake, leaping over the waves, 
and they just kept following us for I, I don't know how long. It's one of the most incredible things I've ever witnessed. It's called a, a super pod, and they can go up to a thousand dolphins in a school. These are all some of the great moments of my life, and there have been many more. Meeting and marrying my wife Kelly, the births of our children, their marriages, and many events in between, many other life experiences, including the day I was told I would become the lead pastor of this great church. Now, you may have noticed, if you're paying attention, that all of these moments that I've defined as great were all pretty positive. They were high points of my life. Now, earning a black belt, climbing a volcano, those were physically strenuous. They were physically challenging, but the result was nonetheless very positive. But if I'm going to be entirely truthful, if I'm going to be entirely honest, my most impactful moments of life have not been nearly so positive. Sometimes it's been the hardest moments of life and ministry that have shaped me the most. Sitting at the bedside of someone whose death was rapidly approaching. Visiting people I've known in jail or prison or in rehab facilities. Accompanying addicts or persons struggling with considering suicide to treatment facilities sitting with families in the immediate aftermath of some unspeakable tragedy, leading a congregation through the aftermath of the trauma of the shooting in Parkland, hard conversations, painful conversations, sometimes conflicted conversations, sitting with people in their pain, crying with and for people in their pain, the countless times someone's walked into my office, closed the door with a particular look on their face and saying, I've never told anyone this before, and then spilling their guts. And if I'm honest, dealing with, coming to terms with, being honest about many of my own failures, mistakes, shortcomings. Undeniably, part of being a pastor is the, the privilege of a beautiful moment, the privilege of standing in a, a high pulpit wearing a pretty white robe, standing with a couple as they say their wedding vows to each other, baptizing pretty little babies. But most pastors I know will also tell you that one of the surprising privileges of ministry is being invited into some of life's darkest most unspeakable moments. As I've mentioned, Kelly and I enjoy going on cruises. They seem to work really well for us. We've been to Alaska, as I've mentioned. We've been to Nova Scotia. We've been all over the Caribbean. We've seen a lot of very beautiful, fun places. But the places in my life that have shaped me the most, impacted me most greatly, are places that cruise ships just don't go. Places of great brokenness and poverty and suffering. There, I've caught glimpse, glimpses of God at work. 
Now, I won't deny it. Uh, truth is, I still yearn for great moments in my life. I plan them. I save for them. I look forward to them. I want as many of those as I can get. But I just can't deny that my greatest moments are moments that I might have if I had known what they would be, moments I would have avoided. Or using the words of the transfiguration story, I I yearn for moments of great beauty and bright lights up on the mountaintop. But I've grown the most down in the darkest of valleys. So today's Transfiguration Sunday. Transfiguration Sunday always falls the the Sunday prior to the 40 days of Lent. This Wednesday, of course, is Ash Wednesday. I read the story, but in summary, the, the story goes that Jesus went up on the mountain. We don't know why. He didn't say. Often he would go on mountains to pray, often alone. But this day he took what seemed to be his closest three friends, Peter, James and John. And when they reached the peak, Jesus was transfigured. His clothing, his skin, his face began to shine like the brightest of lights. But wait, there's more. As Jesus was transfigured, all of a sudden, two heroes from the Old Testament, Moses, the great lawgiver, Elijah, the first of the great prophets, appear and are having conversations with Jesus in his transfigured state. And then there was a voice from the clouds. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Imagine for a moment being Peter, James, and John, just thinking you're taking an afternoon hike with your friend and then seeing all of this. Well, to no great surprise, Peter had something to say. Peter always had something to say. He impulsively, impetuously always had something to say to say, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will set up three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, depending on what version of scripture you read, there might be some other words you read. Shelter. Let me build three shelters for you. Let me build three memorials for you, or any number of other possibilities. All of them would have taken time to construct and once built would have been a reason to hang out there. I think that's the point. I think Peter was looking for ways to keep this moment, this great moment going as long as he could. If we choose the word tent as it is in this passage, well, why do you set up a tent unless you plan to camp out in it? He was saying, Lord, we like it here. We like seeing you all lit up. Let's just hang out here and let those other disciples handle the riffraff down below. Sometimes in the church, sometimes in spiritual circles, we refer to this kind of experience as a mountaintop experience. Now, most of us weren't there for the transfiguration, but many of us have experienced those moments where there seems to be a a spiritual breakthrough, an awakening, if you will, maybe in church, maybe on a retreat, maybe traveling, maybe in nature, a moment you feel more in touch with God and your truest self. Please hear me. 
There's nothing wrong with mountaintop experiences. Enjoy them. Cherish them. There's nothing wrong with thinking back to those moments and as, as turning points in your spiritual life. There's nothing wrong with seeking more mountaintop experiences. But I think the story of the transfiguration is meant to show us that the mountaintop is just one place among many that we can experience the presence of God in the world. Jesus did not spend the majority of his life or ministry taking people up mountains to show them what he could do. Most of his ministry was spent in the real world. All of a sudden, as Peter is encouraging them to stay, Jesus returns to his normal appearance. Elijah, Moses disappear, and Jesus immediately leads them back down the mountain. It's interesting that as soon as they arrive at the base of the mountain, there's a crowd gathered there with the other disciples, and immediately Jesus and the three are confronted with a problem. A father has brought his son to be cured by the disciples. The son has seizures that overcome him frequently. We later find out that it's caused by a demon. And he brought his son to the disciples who did not go up on the mountain of transfiguration and asked them to pray over him and cure him. And they tried and failed. Sometimes that's what happens down in the valley. Failure. Can you imagine the the agony of the father seeing his son in pain and suffering? Imagine this pain and suffering of the son. Imagine the frustration of the disciples who thought they knew what they were doing and it wasn't working. You can feel the tension rising. Jesus appears, of course, immediately cures the son which leads to a conversation about faith. Why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we cure him, heal him, cast out the demon? To which Jesus offers what is my favorite verse of Scripture, Matthew 17, 20. Truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, which occurs to me today is the Mount of Transfiguration, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Apparently, the disciples had faith in themselves, but not nearly enough faith in God. That's a sermon for another day. The point is that many of us are attracted to mountaintops experiences, and what we're really seeking is some way to avoid the the mundane, the mess, of the valley. Up on the mountain, the view is better, the air is cleaner, God feels closer, and the problems seem so far away. Let's just keep it that way. But down in the valley, that's muddy, that's mucky, that's messy. There's problems and pressures, there's failure and fatigue, there's difficulty and distress. Jesus and James and Peter and John just in seemingly moments have gone from a moment of glory on the mountaintop to the gore that awaited them below. Demons and disappointment, suffering and sin. 
But as demonstrated by the entirety of the life of Jesus, moments of transfiguration are precious but rare. We use the word incarnation with Jesus, which means that he took on flesh, but it means more than that. He entered into the fullness of the human experience. He left the comforts as the Son, the second person of the Trinity in heaven, to enter into the fullness of our humanity and our human experience. Philippians 2, 5 through 6 says, Though Jesus existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Think about his life for a moment. The remarkable circumstances of his birth in an animal stable. Born into an impoverished family. An impoverished community. A nation plagued by an oppressive foreign enemy. Always at odds with the legalism of the religious authorities throughout his ministry. Often homeless and dependent upon the generosity of others. Finally arrested and falsely accused and executed as a common criminal. The vast majority of Jesus' human life and ministry was down in the valley. Poverty, constant threat, false accusation, people plotting against him, betrayal by his closest friends, abandonment by his closest friends, the defamation of his character. Often surrounded not by the most important people, by the world standards, but by sinners. The sick and unclean, prostitutes, tax collectors, the rejects of society, often in conflict with the religious authorities, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. That was the reality of Jesus' human life. Some refer to this as the descending nature of God. That it is in the character and nature of God to descend, to come to those who need him the most. I've heard it said that God's grace is like water. Water always runs downhill and finds itself accumulating in the lowest of places, maybe where it's needed most. I've also heard it said that if you want to see God, you may not want to go up to the top of a mountain for some transfigured moment. You might instead want to go where people are hurting the most, to the broken places, the poor places, because there God is at work. Nadia Bowles-Weber writes, God simply keeps reaching down into the dirt of humanity and resurrecting us from the graves we dig for ourselves through our violence, our lies, our selfishness, our arrogance, and our addictions. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I don't know if you're the kind of person that hopes to fill your life with more and more great moments. But we might ask, like, what do people like me, like us possibly, who 
prefer Mount of Transfiguration experiences over dark valleys do. Pope Francis says we cannot become starched Christians, overeducated Christians who speak of theological matters as we calmly sip their tea. No, we must become courageous Christians and go in search of those who are the very flesh of Christ, meaning, of course, the poor. And I think it's an invitation that we be for Christ, the hands and feet of his presence in the world. I know I quote a lot of authors and such in my sermons. I like to do that. I want to share with you my very favorite quote of anyone. It's an Anglican-British missionary in the 20th century to China. He once said, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's not the mountaintop, friends. That's the deepest, darkest of valleys. And so as we've mentioned several times this morning, this Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. It's Ash Wednesday. On Ash Wednesday, we'll be reminded that the wages of sin is death. That we were created from dust and from dust to dust, we eventually shall return. A major theme of Lent and Ash Wednesday in particular is confession, repentance and confession. And so in the spirit of the upcoming Lenten season, I thought I might share a confession with you this morning. Here it is. The truth is my expectations about life aren't always realistic. My hunger for more and more great moments just betrays a a, a hidden belief that my life is supposed to be filled with blessing, 100% positive moments, and 100% free of hardship. You and I both know that's not realistic, right? And yet, have you ever said, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? Maybe you're unrealistic too. But the reality is, and we all know it, life is filled both with exquisite beauty and exquisite brokenness. Moments, thankfully, of ease and moments of struggle that we may resent in the moment. Moments of great health and vigor and moments of brokenness and sickness and disease. Moments of birth and death. Moments of great richness and moments of poverty. In the wedding vow, you know, it says to have and to hold for richer, for poorer. I recently did a wedding where the groom, I said, repeat after me, I take you for richer or poorer. And he said, I take you for richer or richer. And we all laughed. And I said, I hope so. But we don't always know, do we? For most of humanity, throughout the ages, in this current day, the scale of suffering versus ease is greatly imbalanced in one direction. Howard Thurman once asked, the masses of men and women who live their lives with their backs against the wall, they are the poor, 
the disinherited, the dispossessed? What does our religion say to them? Well, maybe there's something in the story of transfiguration that gives us a clue. Undeniably, Jesus is revealed, is present in all of those great moments of beauty and excitement and joy that life gives us so generously. And yet, the symbol of the Christian faith is the cross. Jesus' darkest moment where he suffered and died. It's a reminder that Jesus is not just in those great transfigured moments of life, but that he's equally, if not more, present to us in those moments of darkness, those difficult, pain-filled moments. And maybe, just maybe, he's most of all present to us when we offer ourselves to the dark suffering of others. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we invite you into all the moments of our life, the moments of beauty, the mountaintop moments, the moments of joy, the moments we cherish, and those harder moments. Especially in those moments, would you open our eyes, would you open our ears, would you make us sensitive to the way that you are work, holding us, comforting us, supporting us. And remind us always, O oh God, that the greatest service we can offer in your name isn't in these walls. It's in the streets. It's in the alleys. It's in the forgotten places. It's with those who need you most. Send us out, O Lord, into the darkest valleys to find you, to journey with you, to represent you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.